1: You can support this podcast at patreon.com partners in crime media.
2: This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Allie Burns of Edmonton, Alberta. Allie will get a marathon decal showing. She watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Brady Carlson, and these are their stories.
3: You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and Order, law and Order. Their
2: stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either criminal intent, SVU, or original recipe. And today we're looking at Mothership Season 7, Episode 11 Menace. She
4: climbed over the side to get away, she was terrified.
2: I think she jumped to get away from him. He was a lunatic. Joining me to do that is true crime author and host of the podcast Crime Writers On, my wife, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. And rounding out the panel is our special guest author of the book Dead Presidents, Brady Carlson. Hi there. Brady, you have a monster knowledge of law and order. I, I would say monster is probably
1: the right word for it. I mean, it, I go way back with this show. I can trace back the history from all the way back to Detective Max Grevy and Detective Logan working down in the precinct, all the way to that moment when Lieutenant Van Buren was... Secretly smoking medical marijuana <laughs> right before the season finale and everything in between. Are you just an original recipe guy? Or- just original recipe. I could never. I I'm too squeamish to watch SVU, and I could never remember all of the other euphemisms for all the shows. What about yeah, Criminal Intent? I couldn't, or, yeah. I couldn't keep track of Criminal by Jury or Trial by Intent or all of those just blended together for me. So I was just waiting for. Law and Order on Ice, the original King Arthur edition, or whatever it was going to be.
2: So you've written about the way we celebrate our dead presidents and the ways we don't always do it well. So what do you think about the way the franchise has handled killing off its characters over the years? Well, oh, I'm not a big
1: fan of killing off long-term characters. That I think is such a overplayed thing. I will say they get points for the novelty of killing off Claire Kincaid, one of my absolute favorite law and order characters, the best ADA of all Jill Hennessy, best known for her role in one of the later Robocop sequels <laughs> <laughs> and some shows she did about crossing someone named Jordan. But she was a fantastic character, and they always had this this undercurrent of torrid romance between her and Jack McCoy and Then one day they all go to an execution, and horrible things happen. And she has the most horrible thing of all happen to her. She gets sideswiped or something like that and,
2: and killed yeah. off. And, and life was never the same after we lost Claire Kincaid. I will say that even though it breaks all the formats, that is actually my all-time favorite episode of Law & Order. That Aftershock. one you're talking to, Aftershock, yeah, where it, the season finale and, and Claire and Briscoe are in that car accident. A drunken Briscoe, even. Yeah. yeah.
5: Poor drunken Briscoe. Poor
2: drunken Briscoe. So, Brady, if you
1: went to Briscoe's grave, what would that look like? God, it would be They would have the most sarcastic epitaph of all time. It's something like, you know, my ex-wife said this was going to happen.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think there'd be like a little, uh, you know, racing sheet from Saratoga or <laughs> something. Be, like yeah, there'd be a racing form, and, and then there would be a
1: little notepad, and at the top of it would be, what color was the car? It's like the
2: most said line, I think, in all of the Law & Order episodes. What color was the car?
5: I think it's, I pulled the LUDs myself. (laughs) I pulled the
2: LUDs. (laughs) I pulled one too many LUDs. Okay. So, Brady, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team?
3: Favorite Law & Order detective team.
1: Do I have to sing my answer? (laughs) (laughs) I liked a couple of different teams, all anchored by Briscoe, but for different reasons. I liked the Briscoe and Logan pairing because they were sort of the street-smart, sarcastic cop duo that you hope is what is really out there protecting and serving everybody. I liked Briscoe and Curtis because they were different, and they didn't always see eye-to-eye on that. And then I liked Green and Briscoe. You know, Briscoe's last partner, Jesse L. Martin, because he was mm. he was really funny and he could run. And Briscoe, by that point in his career, very clearly <laughs> could not. And so you'd have, you know, these perps who are running off when Briscoe is questioning them and they'd never see Detective Green coming at him from the side. And he would do these great tackles and, and then always come up with a really great line and never a hair out of place, never a jacket muster or stain or scratch. There was he, the
2: one time he got up and said, damn, brand new suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like
1: one time. But otherwise, he always looked like, a, like if I fell over like that, you know, tackled some guy, like I would be a mess. He never looked like a mess. Brady, even when he I was work messy. with you. You
5: arrive at work a mess days, Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but Jesse L. Martin, yeah. I mean, you guys are both men. And uh, as far as I know, both heterosexual men. So I'm just going to put it in and say like, he is gorgeous. In a way that logan and curtis are not
2: of all the different series who's your favorite prosecutorial team
3: favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team
2: oh i'm totally
1: gonna sing this one then <laughs>
4: <laughs> just kidding
1: i gotta go with jack mccoy and claire kincaid claire kincaid had a moral compass that the hothead jack mccoy in those days really needed The undercurrent of sexual tension is always something that you love to get because Law and Order was not really about the personalities of the people. It was more about the process. But you would get those hints from time to time. And she was also an interesting character in that she was still kind of new to the game. And so the writers allowed her to make mistakes. She would screw up cases. And... (laughs) And then occasionally McCoy would do the same thing and they could write each other. So the chemistry between them professionally and personally was really fun until she got killed.
2: All right, let's recap the first part of this episode, Menace. Uh, We start by seeing Mr. and Mrs. Let's Finger Blast in the car stuck in traffic (laughs) on the Brooklyn Bridge (laughs) when they learn a woman has jumped over the side. So this makes this officially a case of a bumper to bumper jumper.
5: Nice. You
2: like that? Well played. Yeah, man puts his giant cancer-irradiating car phone to his head and calls 911. Curtis is suspiciously late to the scene, but he and Briscoe notice that the woman's blouse was ripped from her torso.
4: So she's stoned on something. She runs a car into the guardrail, peels off her shirt, and jumps. You sign off on that, we can all go back in. That sleeve is ripped. There's three buttons missing. She didn't
2: take this off. Somebody took it off for her. 911 call said so she jumped. Maybe there's somebody else who helped her off the bridge. They suspect Karen Watney was pushed, so they chase down some witnesses, including a park services employee who had his mistress in the city truck. And the cops gather everyone into an interrogation room, but no one will admit to seeing anything. Once Curtis threatens to beat up the parks worker, they confess that they saw Watney running from a man... But we're just too ashamed to say they didn't help. The detectives trace a car to a guy named Crazy Mike. And because they are crack investigators, the name Crazy Mike sounds suspicious to them. (laughs) (laughs) Even though no one saw Mike push Watney over, they arrest him for chasing her over the side. So immediately there's this second mystery, which is why Curtis is hitching a ride to a crime scene and does not want to talk about his personal life, which he has barely done in a season and a half.
5: Right, right. There are actually a couple things about the opening of this episode that I'm just hoping we can just touch on. One of them was the body was disgusting. There was definitely a pool (laughs) of brains around that body.
1: Lurid, And I mean, you notice that she had she was in clearly a state of undress and you could see the wheels turning that eventually led to SVU.
5: Yes, although Briscoe did not keep him from making the wisecrack. 14 years on the job. I, I still can't understand what makes him
4: do it. Hopelessness for one.
5: Yeah, listen
2: to him. He went to college.
5: Yeah, listen to him. He went to college. <laughs> they always
2: bust on him. That's Detective Profaci. Oh, <sighs> <laughs> that's
1: that's his so that's he, his fame, is to come in and say, I pulled the luds for you guys, or
2: there's some donuts in the kitchen. <laughs> so if he beats Curtis there, you know there's a problem.
5: Exactly. Exactly. Poor Curtis. Yes.
2: They're putting a lot of work into finding out if Karen was just depressed enough to jump off the bridge. They're spending a lot of time going around the city.
5: Yeah. We see the mom. We see the very much grieving mother. We see the witness friend who, by the way, this is like one of the, I think, when Law and Order really hit its stride about casting people that look like real people standing outside of like real places she could have looked like she was like on you know Columbus Avenue outside of one of those restaurants and they went over the west side or something to to ask her questions and it just was very like real right did you
1: notice that they were standing across the street from a Hess station and the gas cost a dollar
2: 34 a gallon <laughs> I mean <laughs> that was suspicious now you cannot say that detective Lenny Briscoe is not a keen observer of the human condition like when they get the toxicology report and the only drug... Tox report
4: found a blood alcohol level consistent with what the friend told us. No drugs, unless you count Midol. Midol, that
2: tells you something.
4: She jumped because it was her time of the month. I really hope you come up with a
2: better reason before you go home to your cave
4: tonight. <laughs> Which she says,
2: that tells you something. <laughs> yeah, that went over well with Lieutenant Van Buren, clearly. <laughs>
5: Oh, Briscoe, Briscoe. But, you know, he's so sweet on the other hand. Like, he's so nice to the mother. He's so kind to Curtis when Curtis tells him what's going on in his personal life. And, you know, he's not he's able to drop the snark pretty quickly when required, which is always impressive.
2: Well, the way they have it set up, they're they're dropping quite a few breadcrumbs that Briscoe is catching on without him ever saying anything which is, again, a sort of a break from the classic Law & Order format, which is, like, we don't care what happens, you know, in their personal lives.
1: And the nice thing was, too, is that they didn't write it in a way that beat you over the head with that. I mean, the same thing happens when Briscoe and Curtis are talking with the mother.
3: I don't understand how my daughter fell off a bridge.
4: We're not exactly sure either. Um, when was the last time you spoke with her?
3: Yesterday morning, she went for an interview.
4: Mrs. Watney, did Karen ever say or do anything that would make you think she might try to hurt herself? No, never.
1: You don't see them go, ma'am, we're so sorry for your loss. They just, the way they ask the questions is very sensitive. They're they're, they're sort of halting in a way. Mm -hmm. They're trying to broach these difficult subjects. Was she upset? Did she have any enemies? Was she in some kind of trouble? But in a way that was sensitive to someone who had just lost her daughter. Right. And it was it was nicely done.
5: It was nicely done. And that's not the way it always is in this show. It's very, right. very often very perfunctory, very sterile. It's just sort of like, we have to get this done. You're busy folding sweaters, but I'm just going to go ahead and ask you the questions anyway. This was much more classic, like how you would expect that kind of conversation to go.
2: In this episode, we have a, hey, it's that guy. Hey, it's. That guy In the role of business owner Harold Dorning is actor John Cullum. Where do we know him from? That
5: guy. I feel like I know him from lots of stuff, right?
2: I know him from something very particular. Go. I remember him as Holling
1: from Northern Exposure. That's Correct. Right. Yes. She'd been looking for work for so
4: long. She had her mother to support she asked me for
5: money yes
2: he also had a very long career in soap operas as yes. well yeah. true I um, probably
5: know him from that who are we kidding <laughs>
2: <laughs> but we also have another hey it's that guy hey it's
5: that guy we should have one that says another hey it's <laughs> that guy
2: it's something <laughs> at the music
1: department on that it's his son Robert anybody recognize him I did not recognize him I, I mean he was one of those people I thought I've got to have seen him somewhere Rebecca do you know
5: I don't know. All I know is that that moment in the show when the sort of son walks in briefly and he's like, don't worry about the son. I've got it taken care of. I'm like, oh, hey, it's that guy. It's that <laughs>
2: guy. It's going to be that guy. That actor is Christopher Cousins. He told me that uh, she was trying to extort him. She wanted $10,000 or she would tell the police about the fire. The thing that you probably will remember him from is Breaking Bad. He huh. was Ted as in oh, the episode, I F Ted. I F Ted.
5: Wow, good, yep. nice. Did you did you look that up? Oh yeah, there's a
2: lot of <laughs> there's a lot of research goes into this, you know. Oh, I
5: thought you were like a some sort of like Brady Carlson-esque like pop culture genius there. Oh for no, say.
2: no, no. When I see it's that guy, I'm I'm tracking him down <laughs> like Briscoe with a hot tip.
5: Gotcha, gotcha.
2: The interesting thing that happens when
1: they have a hey, it's that guy, that early in the episode is. It's almost designed to get you to start thinking, is he the suspect? Is he the one who did it? I mean, they wouldn't have the guy who played Holling on Northern Exposure come in for a 30-second bit where he's a businessman who just happened to know the victim in a past
2: life or in a past job. Like, they're going to factor into the show. Do you think if you see the, hey, it's that guy, like, 15 minutes into it, he's going to be a red herring versus seeing him at the 30-minute mark? It could go either way. But I find the earlier on
1: they're in. Yep. It's sort of like that old line about how if you, you know, if you introduce a grenade in act one of a story, then it's going to have to go off in act three. Right. That's probably right. not the real
2: quote. but Yeah, you
5: know, that's how I feel about it too. The, the, hey, it's that guy that shows up at the beginning and then disappears. Like, it's
2: probably that guy. He's coming back.
5: Yep, I agree. Boom,
2: boom. Now, you know that one thing that's always bothering you and you make it about something else? Well, Ray gets a little too rough with the witness who's cheating on his wife. So Briscoe finally gets to the bottom of it
5: yes ray makes the fake phone call to the witness's wife
4: right, i think i got your home number right here what are you doing 718 area right hey i bet your girlfriend could teach your wife some hot new dishes he
2: can't do this ray it's ringing
5: where he's like i got her on the phone should i tell her it was I? it's ringing it's ringing really really good right
2: yeah and then he <laughs> right and then he pulls him out
4: what the hell's the matter with you? You think I'm just gonna stand by, and let these people lie to us? That's not what this is about. Oh, it's not? What's it about, then? You tell me. She left me, Lenny. She took the kids and split. She wants me out of the house. Why? What happened? I broke my vows. This girl in the park, just a one-time thing. How'd Deborah find out? I told her. Your second mistake.
2: That was that was your second mistake. That's probably as much of a soap opera as we can get out of the cops ever, right? Yeah. Well,
5: Ray confesses what's going on to Briscoe. He I says, "I broke
2: my vows." Yeah, Lenny. once yeah. in the
5: park, a little bit. Please, yeah. do you believe that for a second that that was his only indiscretion? Well, no. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't.
1: But, you know, I mean, when a man lives in the same city as Jennifer Garner and he's Detective Ray Curtis... That's true.
5: That's true. Who Something's knows what's going to happen? But I wouldn't... Like, why... This is the thing, is that Briscoe said, how did she found out? And he said, I told I her. I told her. Why? Why did you tell her?
2: Because this is why I think he's not a philanderer, and he did it just the one time, because he felt guilty about it.
5: Ah, uh, I don't know. That as was... opposed
2: to the guy who doesn't feel guilty about it, Jack McCoy, and just keeps <laughs> going around screwing everybody. Well, is Jack is...
5: McCoy married?
2: No, but he's divorced. Yeah, yeah he, I was yeah.
5: gonna say, like he's not a philandering. No. That's just Jack McCoying.
1: Yeah, serial serial monogamy. Exactly. I Jack McCoy. A
5: serial secret monogamy.
1: But this scene is clearly the reason that they hired Benjamin Bratt to be on this show because Mike Logan. Chris Noth couldn't do that scene. Like, who cares if Detective Logan has an affair with somebody? Right. I don't think he was married, but, like, that's not interesting. But here you've got this guy and, you know, you see it also in the scene where, like, he's been kicked out of his house he's shaving. and he's shaving shirtless in the, the, he's shaving shirtless yeah, in the bathroom of a... the precinct. <laughs> it's like, we put this guy on here because we want some beefcake on for the audience and we also want a little bit of romantic drama that's to right. counteract all of the the cynical detectives. For the ladies. Little something for the
2: ladies. (laughs) So let's stop random motorists in the middle of the night, ask them if they saw something, bring them all to the same interrogation room, then threaten to beat the shit out of one of them if they don't spill the beans. Now, did the U.S. Justice Department decline to investigate this?
5: (laughs) I think if the U.S. Justice Department investigated every near line crossing that happened in that precinct, that's all they would be doing all day long. (laughs)
1: A Lieutenant Van Buren must spend 90% of her day Doing saying, paperwork. <laughs> actually, he was just upset because of a problem with his wife. Exactly. <laughs> saying, exactly.
2: There's, there's no, nothing to look at here. Yeah.
1: No civil lawsuit. It's not going to happen again as long as he
2: can keep away from Jennifer Garner. Exactly. exactly. Curtis Lives Matter. I get it. <laughs> uh, so uh, they did settle on Crazy Mike because, what, they couldn't find bridge-tossing Larry?
5: Well, yeah, but we also got like the real cop stuff of tracing the car paint in the lab, like going and, and looking at the car and that like obligatory scene where they like quickly walk through
2: and they find the one eyewitness who ever remembered a part of a license plate <laughs> <laughs> I remember I think it had a two in it <laughs> good enough good enough
5: <laughs> no yeah so they, so they go to the house and they're asking around and the, the neighbor I believe is the one who's like oh it's Crazy Mike
4: you guys gonna put Crazy Mike away does he need putting away nobody around here would
5: stop you right that's how we get into the company.
2: he called him crazy Mike three times yeah. in 30 seconds <laughs> why is he crazy <laughs> so the audience knows oh this guy looks like he might be crazy crazy Mike that, you mean crazy Mike yeah. yes not crazy unstable Mike Mark. not unstable Mike no crazy Mike oh and, okay
5: well then there's the incredible scene where they arrest crazy Mike in the bar and like there's all those like sketchy like his dad's there and the other sketchy guy who's like Mike we
4: want you to come with us you don't gotta do nothing Mike you're coming one way or another. They say I don't have to. Don't talk to them, Mike. If they want to talk to you, let them arrest
5: you. Don't tell them nothing. Like, they're talking to the cops like the cops aren't even there. It's like a long Shorman bar or something like that. It that was Dudley. a policy
2: house. There was gambling going on. Oh, there. is that what it yeah. was? Yeah. Okay. What, what do you think? They were selling insurance? That's
5: the kind of thing you know about that, because you know, if you're like old-timey connections to the underworld.
1: Legitimate just... businessman's club.
2: Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm taking uh, Sweet Baby in the third. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming in at seven to five. <laughs> it is always funny when you
1: see these scenes written by writers who are based in Los Angeles sort of trying to... to capture the real New York you know what what is a bar that crazy Mike hangs out at like (laughs) with his dad his
0: wheelchair
5: bound
2: -bound dad dad. hey I'm the designated driver
0: (laughs) have you heard sling tv offers the news you love for less hey wait you look and sound just like me I am you
2: Crazy Mike says he got into a fender bender with Karen Watney, who refused to stop and kept running right off the bridge.
0: The defendant terrorized a 28-year-old woman in the dead of night on a bridge ramp and with depraved indifference caused her death.
2: The
3: deceased jumped off a bridge on her own, period.
0: She jumped to get away from Mr. McDugan. He didn't have to push her.
2: She chose to die, Your Honor. My client isn't accountable for the actions of a disturbed individual. After getting a threatening phone call at home, the philandering park ranger changes his story to the grand jury. Crazy Mike is indicted for a third-degree assault. Now, looking for a connection, McCoy and Ross learned that Crazy Mike once shared a cell with an arsonist named Randall the Candle. Randall the best. (laughs) Such a great name. The best. And the reason Watney had lost her job was that the shoe factory had burned down. The theory is now that Watney ran from Crazy Mike because she had been shaking down the factory owner about the arson. The cops arrest old man Dorning and hope to get one of the three conspirators to flip. But it's not the old man. It's his greedy son who did it for the insurance money and wanted to shut Watney up. (laughs) It's it's
5: that guy. Surprise, surprise. So
2: if we see stuff going on in a grand jury session, we all know the the case is in trouble, right?
5: Yeah. You know, we see quick hits of grand jury stuff in Law & Order. We see like, oh, we're going to go to the grand jury. And then like the next scene is they're walking out and it's like, light comes on. We got the indictment. This was an interminable uh, grand jury session in this episode. I don't know a whole lot about grand jury process. I learned a whole lot uh, watching this episode. It just seemed like they really wanted us to understand like how <laughs> indictments work. Right. Didn't you think this was pretty like long?
1: It was. It would spend a lot more time. Grand jury scenes are usually very perfunctory, like you said. And what's interesting about it is, is that you'd think the writers, given that you know we've already been through a situation where the detectives managed to round up like a dozen people who all happen to be standing around a car at 2 in the morning right they get them all into this room. How they found them, we still don't know. How they quite stumbled onto Crazy Mike is just happenstance. You know, they just talked to an old guy who lived in the area, who happened to know the guy who was actually (laughs) involved in the crime. And then you'd think the writers would say, well, okay, the prosecutors have a lot more to go on here. And yet, they make a point of showing that the prosecutors have almost nothing to go on to get this case off the ground.
5: That's right. I mean, so almost nothing to go off that Ross has to kick the defense attorney out of the grand jury room because he's like calling into question like all of the lack of stuff that they have and yeah, he's
2: doing the right thing by yeah, his client.
5: Absolutely doing the right thing and uh we just get to see her kick him out, which I thought was kind of fun. Because you can do that. Like in a grand jury, like the rules of the courtroom like don't apply, right? Yeah, there's no
2: judge. She is she's well, a judge, judge she's, and prosecutor. She's like Judge Dredd. She is the law. Right. Right. And and you remember No when helmet they, though. When they did get a judge to intervene, the judge's order to her was to you will Tell the grand jury to disregard your statement. Not, right. not I would admonish them because right. he's not there. Right. So now we've got this philandering park worker and his wife. He's keeping her in the dark about first slipping it into some other woman's picnic basket.
5: Who's Hispanic. Oh, she's Spanish? She's
2: Spanish. Spanish they call her. <laughs> she's Spanish. So he's, uh, he's slipping it to the mistress. He keeps it from his wife that he's uh, been at the crime scene with this mistress Spanish mistress uh, Spanish mistress (laughs) that uh, he was a, a grand jury witness and didn't mention her and that he's a victim of witness tampering so like how come Curtis's wife can find out about this stuff but he can keep it from his wife I have a theory yeah did
5: you hear his wife's incredibly thick Queen's accent he took the calls in the other room and then he went out for a half hour for a walk, he said. The Maybe answer- she didn't speak English and couldn't quite understand what was going on. Maybe he was telling her, but, you know, they speak two different languages. No, I mean, that actress's accent was pretty remarkably Queen's in my estimation. But, yeah, I mean, the, the case at this point now has gotten sort of kicked back to the cops, as very often happens in the formula. Like, the prosecutors have a problem, so they then have to do more shoe leather stuff. And they go out to, is it Marsh, that guy's house? And, yeah, it does really seem like she's really clueless. And then she says, um, I thought it might be a woman, And she's like, apparently that's just something that she thinks a lot. I think it might be a woman, you know, that he's taking these, like, secret phone calls in the middle of the night. A lot of insight into that marriage right there in that little scene.
2: Yeah, no, it's not. It's actually calls from Randall the Candle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, <laughs> who is, by the way,
1: one of the most interesting characters in the totally. entire show.
5: That crotch grab during yeah. the interrogation? I mean,
1: Crazy Mike is your standard sort of meathead perp. He's like, I'm not telling you nothing, you know. And then the ultimate sort of mastermind of the scheme was sort of your stereotypical law and order white collar criminal. Mm-hmm. But Randall the Candle is kind of like a creepy sociopath. Yeah, you know, The first one to
4: raise his hand gets to plead to murder, too, and serve 15 to life. Hey,
1: bleed this. You know, he's, this. he's exactly. Bleed I mean, this. he's just like, like lazing back in the chair. I don't have to tell you nothing because he's just exuding all of this like, evil confidence.
5: He's the kind of guy that like Benson and Stabler interrogate all the time on SVU. Like he's like the Pablo Schreiber character, that guy who's just like Porn so stash. smarmy. Yes. So disgusting and so just like just just so doesn't care. Like you can do anything to me and it's not going to. It's like, like the
1: honey badger of sexual yeah, predators. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of liked Ronald
5: although I will say I do take umbrage with a lack of imagination of his like prison nickname because if, what? if I were a criminal, I mean, I just don't think your nickname very often is directly tied to the infraction that you used to do. Is it? Is that usually how nicknames are born? Do they usually come from, like, something else? I don't know.
2: No, I mean, I think if your name is Randall and you're an arsonist, you are totally fucking going to be (laughs) Randall the Candle. (laughs) You know? All right.
5: All right. <laughs> it's destiny. Are there yeah. some other crimes that have good rhymes that like Well, I-
2: how about this? If you were running an illegal business uh with uh horse racing, you could be Randall the Handle.
5: Oh, I guess that's true.
2: But it's not still as good as Randall the Candle. You're right, you're right. Crazy Mike could have been menacing Mike, but it just didn't <laughs> have the same. They didn't have the same ring you know it's funny because Schiff is not impressed with all the characters in this conspiracy is he ever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well he goes along and he's kind of like he's very much like you
0: Karen Watney had lunch with Dorning. I think she threatened to go to the police unless he gave her money a few days later she's dead
2: Harold Dorning to Randall the candle to crazy Mike and who has evidence this conspiracy Mac the Knife. Mac the knife <laughs>
5: Yeah, yeah. I actually thought Crazy Mike's interrogation was hilarious when they did the whole prisoner's dilemma thing with he and uh, Randall sort of saying, we're offering you both the same deal, we're only going to take one. His facial expressions, it was almost like watching, I don't know, like a 10-year-old who just ate a cupcake and was afraid to be found out, you know, <laughs> sitting there. And meanwhile, you have this like sociopath in the other room grabbing himself. I don't know, the whole thing was really sort of like a clown car of characters.
0: Schiff is right.
2: How many times did they just, like, sort of solve the case, like, at the elevator? Like, waiting for it to show up, and they go,
0: We'll never make any headway with either Dugan or Randall without a murder indictment.
2: Maybe it's time
4: you knocked on Dorning's door. And ask him if he would please like to confess. I'm sure that Mr. Randall the candle doesn't work pro bono. Dorning must have paid him something for his services.
0: The arson squad already looked into Dorning's finances. They didn't find anything.
4: Six months ago, maybe these crooks work on a layaway plan.
2: So, just when you think they've got the guy, the mastermind being old man Derning, it actually ends up being his son Robert.
5: Wait, can we just go back? Yeah. Is what you're referring to a second ago the fact that Schiff is the one who actually cracks the case?
2: Kind of by accident. Because he
5: kind of does, right?
1: Totally. The layaway plan line. The layaway. Maybe these crooks work on the layaway plan. <laughs> <laughs> who got paid? I mean, it was... But I mean, in a lot of ways, that's standard investigation, right? Follow the money. Yeah. And they really kind of hadn't followed the money up to that point. Right. And once they did,
2: it was a pretty cut and dried thing. Yeah, yeah. But again, we think that it's going to be the old man because uh, that's who they're lining up, but it's not. It's the son. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, I think that it was suspicious that, you know, this they were now in a brand new business, like the mortgage brokering business. And it was like, dad set me up with this new company. I don't know. I kind of saw that one coming. I don't know about you, Brady. This wasn't one of those like real twisty thinkers for me. I mean, they had fingered the dad like at the 40 minute mark. So No, you're
2: thinking of the couple in the car in the beginning of the show. <laughs> it's all cyclical. It's all related. <laughs> <laughs> it's so all
1: gross. illicit sex and depravity
5: it is it really is
1: but i mean the the only reason that you would lean toward thinking it was the dad was because he was a pretty well-known actor right. and the pretty well-known actors wind up often being the masterminds of these crazy schemes right, right but it wasn't that he was necessarily a better drawn-out character or that there was an obvious reason i mean there was there was the obvious reason that he needed the money that he would get from burning down his factory right right but I mean, the, the son's motive was a lot more interesting, that he had this business of his own cooking and he wound up using the dad without the dad realizing it. There, that exchange that they have right at the end when McCoy gets everybody in the same room and figures out that the dad was the one being played and that the son was not only scamming him, but was trying to frame him at the same time. And, and when the dad realizes what happens, he goes, you burned down my factory. You burned down my
4: factory. Dad. You killed Karen.
1: And the son looks at him and he goes, You're such a loser. Such a damn loser. You're such a damn loser. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so you've got this kind of smooth, slick, like man of put, the nineties. Then he put the L on his forehead. Yeah, and... You know, and that yeah, and the dad is like this sort of old school businessman who's not making any money. You know, it's sort of it's sort of like in a Christmas carol when Scrooge turns out Mr. Fezziwig. You so, know? It's like here's here's like the modern version of that. It in sounds New York like City. Thanksgiving
2: at the Trumps.
5: <laughs> but this happens all the time on Law and Order. We're like when they have the person, and that maybe that person might even be on trial, and they figure out it's somebody else, like in that person's family, they always get them in a room together. That's like the classic law and order move. And this was very much in the family, too, because the mom of the victim also helped solve the case because she was like, the daughter brought home her scrapbook that day at the factory burned but that, down. I, tell you, that
2: is I always true thought thing. it was luck. That is an actual thing. That is how they get most arson. Really? Because people will take stuff out of the home that they don't want to lose. Huh. They'll take photographs, they'll take mementos. In fact, a lot of times arson investigators will find on the walls empty frames. Hmm. They leave the frames up but they take the photographs. And then also the thing that sometimes gets them, besides V patterns and arson-sniffing dogs, happens to be, this: is well, do you have any insurance? And they go, yeah, I have all this stuff in the trunk of my car, <laughs> where I always keep all of God my God
5: forbid you just call the company to get a right, copy of yeah. the policy, yeah. Yeah. Is what, No, like, no, what like, 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 actually happened.
2: You're like, oh, yeah, all my important stuff, I just happened to recently stick it in my car, <laughs> where it wouldn't burn down. See, if Law & Order was happening today, and you had virtual insurance policies
1: all on the web, and you had all your photos on Facebook They wouldn't have any of that evidence, would they?
2: The Geico lizard would pop up and say, yeah. Here (laughs) Here you go, Detective (laughs) Briscoe.
0: Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month everything great about me but for less money which makes me greater don't you think get the news you love and more for less start saving today visit sling.com to see your offer
3: sling when it comes to listing your home for sale everyone and their mom has advice
4: oh honey who's gonna want to buy
1: this
3: place
0: on a cul-de-sac it's
3: literally a
0: dead end.
3: But for professional advice, a Remax agent actually knows best.
0: Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here.
3: Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can
2: lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust study. Each office independently owned and operated. Now this story is based on a real crime. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines.
3: You think you know who did it? You think you? Know you don't know who
6: did it. You don't
3: know who did it. Rip from the headlines.
6: This episode is based on the road rage death of Delitha Word, who was chased off a bridge by an attacker in Detroit in 1995. In the real story, the 33-year-old got into a fender bender on a traffic-clogged bridge. The operator of the other car, Martin Welch, reached into Word's car and punched her through the window before pulling her out. Dozens of other motorists stuck in traffic got out to watch the assault, but no one intervened. Welch smashed Word's face into the trunk, ripped off her clothes and pulverised the car with a tyre iron. When one of Welch's passengers tried to restrain him, Word managed to get away. The 6'1 football player chased the 4'11 woman across the bridge, screaming that he was going to kill her. To escape, Word climbed over the railing and either jumped or fell 30 feet into the Detroit River. Two good Samaritans jumped in to rescue her. Word couldn't swim, but mistaking them for her attackers, refused their help. Her body was later found downstream. Welch was later convicted of second-degree murder in
0: 1995.
6: Damn it!
2: That's the real story. No, but you can see in both in the show and in real life, this is another instance of that phenomenon known as bystander syndrome. Mm-hmm. Which now, why do you think they come back to this? so often in the franchise.
5: Well, it's a morality play about us, Kevin. That's what this whole thing is really about. It's about the human condition, like whether or not we actually are good enough to help our fellow citizen.
2: So, like, you would be in that interrogation room at midnight.
5: (laughs) What do you think, Brady?
1: Well, it sheds a whole new light on that ABC series, What Would You Do? Apparently, (laughs) that's not Law & Order spinoff, and I never realized that Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you know, all the people who thought they saw a kid in a hot car... And they didn't actually, you know, it was a simulation. Right. I guess that was all just stemming from this episode of Law and Order.
5: Yeah. No, I I think that they always come back to it, too, because, you know, it is a sort of a classic New York thing. I mean, the New York crime story of, you know, arguably of the... Mid 20th century was the Kitty Genovese murder. Which they have
2: done a dozen times yes. variations right. on they, that. They yeah.
5: they certainly have, and they've done a very literal variations on it, where like someone is. They're the listen, SVU one in the quarry, right? Absolutely, right. absolutely, and it, it's so much so that it's become told and retold that now the public story that everybody knows is actually completely inaccurate, which is really interesting too. So I definitely think it's it's partly that it's partly about New York and about the sort of perception that New Yorkers are. Not helpful, not friendly, keep to themselves, something which, by the way, is way more characteristic of New England than New York. I don't know about you guys.
2: The real real life story here of the lethal war that took place in Detroit.
5: They tried to help her.
2: Yeah, right, which I think it makes it all the more sad that there were two good Samaritans who risked their own lives, but she couldn't tell, or, or we presume she didn't know they were coming to rescue her. She thought they were coming to still beat up on her, right? and she would rather drown than to accept their help.
5: The fact that he ripped off her clothes in a road rage incident is insane.
2: That is insane. It, it's sort of the one detail that they need to bring into the episode. Right. Otherwise, it's very easy to just assume it's a suicide.
5: Right. Well, the road rage thing, though, it's sort of like in, in, like they do over and over again. It's just the MacGuffin. It's like it's not really what the show is about, but they, like, what do you think, Brady, about the fact that they take these real cases and then, then reenact them so carefully, and then the show isn't even about that at they, all?
1: They almost troll the audience. Yeah. They lull them into a suspicion a false sense of suspicion that they know what's about to happen and then take a hard left turn to a different direction to
5: Randall the candle to
1: Randall the candle which can sometimes be really fascinating I mean as someone who grew up in Chicago when they did the episode where the like Steve Bartman clone got murdered and then it wound up having nothing to do with baseball at all it had nothing to do with a guy who cost his favorite team the playoff victory (laughs) (laughs) I mean that was kind of fun because you did expect it to follow this very clear formula and this very clear path but um, that was just about
5: homophobia Phobia, though, right? I think
1: I so, correctly. yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the trouble with this one, though, is that the way that we heard the real life case described, I mean, if I was in that situation and I saw this very large person kind of...
5: Mauling somebody? Mauling
1: somebody. I mean, I would like to think that I would help, but that sounds scary, Yeah, you know? And Crazy Mike, while certainly the character you could expect to do bad things, never seemed portrayed as that dangerous he sounded like more like an idiot right and kind of a low rent thug
3: yeah he never
1: seemed like somebody who like if you saw him at two in the morning chasing somebody toward a bridge like you'd run for it because you were scared for your own
2: safety well i I think think it's a good starting point for the writers with this real story because instead of it just being the bad guy has flipped his shit. It starts off, okay. it's a writing prompt for now that make this guy an enforcer and let's let's backfill in a different case. Right. If they kept true to any of the real story, it was vilifying and shaming the crowd witnesses. Yeah, because in real life, the first newspapers and like People magazine, they first reported that people were cheering the beatdown but later they had to retract that fact because that, that didn't happen that was sort of an early detail and i mean that's Wait, why it exactly became a national did, story what
5: did she do in her car that triggered the beatdown
2: apparently it was a fender bender it was they they bumped maybe once or twice she drove away fearful of the guy in, in the car
5: for good reason for good
2: and she got <laughs> and they and, and drove right into a backup on the bridge ah. between uh, i think it was the Belle Isle bridge Mm-hmm. And she was stuck like that and couldn't go anywhere. So that's when he was able to get his hands on her. Yeah. And people they thought cheered. Yikes. Yeah.
5: That's People Magazine for you. Yeah. So, but you know, it's interesting because, I don't know, a few weeks ago I was walking around in our fair city and I saw some like really horrible people walking with their with a little kid and like really not being nice to this little kid, just like really yelling at him a lot. Does
2: it, does it have something to do with Pokemon Go?
5: No, no. It was just sort of just like bad parenting. I mean, I'm, I'm not, ai don't want to be judgy, but it just was. Like anybody would think that if they saw the situation and it was this, this woman and these two like men and they were all, like the two men were huge <laughs> and I, and this is is a situation where I think I, as a citizen, might at some point, depending on the situation, be like, hey, you know, do you guys need some, you know, can I help you out, find you? And just to inter- just to change the pattern of what's going on.
1: Right, break but up the- I
5: watched it from in my car. I was too scared to say anything. And I was just like, what does that say about me?
1: You see that sometimes, though, in police logs. You'll see people who are in the parking lot of the supermarket and they'll call the cops because they hear some- parent yelling at a kid yeah. and it's hard to know whether it's just you know run-of-the-mill sort of somebody's having a bad day versus someone who is actively abusing their kid yeah I mean yeah. I would like to think I'd be able to tell the difference
2: but just like Curtis said to the witness you know who was complaining about nowadays people will beat you up you cut them off in traffic he said Who's gonna stop them? You?
5: Yeah, I guess. Because not. you're not doing that. <laughs> Cue dramatic music. Um, <laughs> oh, I feel awful now.
1: Yeah, I I'm a bad citizen. <laughs> I'm gonna start
2: wearing a costume at night and fighting crime. I yeah. think to make up for all of no my. No kidding. We'll hang out at a bridge with a net. <laughs> That's gonna do it for us. Thank you to our guest, Brady Carlson. Brady, where can listeners follow you online? Oh, find me all over the place. Just put the words
1: "Brady" and "Carlson" together. As all one word, and you'll find me on Twitter and Facebook and a website and any other place that I'll, I'll probably be on Pokemon Go by the time <laughs> this all said and done. And the cover
5: of a pretty great book as well.
1: That too. That too. Dead Although Revenants. that's actually two words
2: on there. That's the one place where it's separated. <laughs> All right. The book is Dead Presidents. Rebecca Lavoy, author, podcaster, where can people find you online?
5: They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy,
2: And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on iTunes. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Studio C and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. When it comes to
3: listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice.
0: Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But
3: for professional advice, a RE-MAX agent actually knows best.
0: Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here.
3: Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.